Satnam, I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusingh.com. Bless you. Satnam. It is said in. Hello, hello, hello. It is said in um, in yogic writings that if you can do something each day. that makes you feel childlike. That you break through the compounding of seriousness. Because seriousness eliminates innocence. That's why so many people have dogs and cats. Because dogs and cats aren't serious. And they make you feel a version of childlike. And it is that childlikeness that is called innocence. And innocence is a sense that is highly vulnerable. And when you are highly vulnerable, you are absorbent. And when you are absorbent, you are intuitive. And then the only thing that you have to do is have a strong filter on your intuition to determine what is a message and what is a container. What is a content and what is a container. There was a, a movie, God, was it 30 years ago? Um, the Gods Must Be Crazy. And this bush pilot in Africa, this was the plot of the movie, this bush pilot in Africa was, was drinking a Coke out of a bottle and decided that they would just open the window and throw it out from whatever, 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, whatever they were. And this bushman sees this bottle falling from the sky, has never seen a bottle before, has no idea that it's an empty container and pretty much worthless except maybe five cents on a reclaim. And the whole rest of the movie is this guy walking around trying to find out who owns this bottle so he can return it because it fell from the sky. Or what's the meaning of this bottle? And that's who we are. 
<clears throat> when it comes to in intuition, we don't know what's the container and what's the content. We have not yet trained ourselves to have that capacity to distinguish between container and content. But if you give yourself the opportunity to experience that innocence of a child, I am who I am, exactly who I am. That is that. That is that. Yeah? What are you saying? You're saying actually that you have every right to be exactly whoever you want to be in any moment. And that's you. And that's how a child feels until they are taught they don't have that right. And when a child is taught that they don't have that right, they say the child is becoming mature. Wow. To heck with maturity, if that's what that is. Because if maturity cancels out your innocence, and if canceling out your innocence compounds your seriousness, and then when people are doing this in a room, you sit around going, wow, this is weird. And you have all these head-brain, two-dimensional opinions of what is taking place. Then you are not going to be intuitive. You're not going to be able to see beyond what your senses are showing you. And your senses aren't showing you reality. Your senses are showing you a filtered version of what is. But it's not the what is, it's what you believe it is. Because the messaging from what you believe is far more powerful than the message of what's coming in the reflected light, in the reflected sound. Because what you believe something is right there inside your head, interfering with anything coming in so that it can defend you against the influence of what's around you so that you can maintain your opinion that sits in your maturity. And it's only in that childlike innocence that your opinion gets fragmented. That's why children are so unpredictable. It's because their stationary opinions become fragmented. And influences come in and they go, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Oh yeah, that's, I'll be that. I am a fireman. My childhood idea, since I was a child, was that I was a yogi. My great aunt met Sri Yukteswar in 1916, teacher of Paramahansa Yogananda, and studied with Sri Yukteswar alongside Paramahansa. Of course, Paramahansa was quite advanced. And then when Paramahansa was sent to America in 1919, <coughs> she accompanied him and served him until his death in 52. So when I was born into this household, we were the weirdos of the neighborhood. So I learned at an early age, okay to be weird. I mean, look at me. You gotta be okay if you're gonna look like this. 
And it's not about weird in the definition of weird. It's about other than the acceptable norm. Because if you are striving to be the acceptable norm, then you are going to be miserable. Particularly with the kind of accelerated awareness that you have. Because with your accelerated awareness, the only thing that you can truly be is you. And whatever the you is in that moment is exactly who you are. And that is that. And you just have to say to those who are around you, your friends and neighbors and people that are acquainted with you, hey, you just have to excuse me because the cosmos isn't finished. Yeah. I don't apologize, but please forgive me for being me. I remember going to my, I don't know, I was think there was the 20th or 30th year high school reunion. And all these people that I had been with in high school and, ele and elementary and middle school, they would all come up to me. I looked exactly like this. They would all come up to me and they would say, I knew you were going to end up like this. <laughs> and I thought, was it that obvious? Really? And they were so happy that I had ended up like this because it was so obvious to them that I was weird. And thank God I've settled into being weird and okay with it. Glad you're happy, they would say. <laughs> so, and just take away the old definition of weird. It's not weird as a bad thing. It's, it's just weird as a different thing. It's a, it's a weird as your thing. Your thing. Who are you? I remember Yogi Bhajan once coming up to me. I mean, I had probably known him for 10 days. And he came up to me and he put his face right in my face and he said, Hey, who are you? Who are you anyway? And it was like a bit of a shock, you know. And I started to, you know, do one of those things that a dog does when you stare at it for a while, you know, and tries to find... <laughs> Tries, you know what I mean? You tries to find a flea to scratch or something. <laughs> and then and then he came back and said, Yeah, are you you? And that triggered something, if you read my book, Buried Treasures, that I was told that I was being an I was being an imposter if I was trying to fit in. If I was trying to be anything other than just the totally free being that I was, the being that you are, if you're trying to be anything other than the totally free being that you are, you're trying to fit in. You're an imposter. And it's concerning when you start to take off your collar and leash. I don't know if you've ever taken your dog or if you even have a dog, but if you ever take your dog to an off-leash park, when they hear that click, 
of the leash being undone, the sensation that you experience in that animal is phenomenal. They, they, first of all, they look back up and they see that that clicker has come off their collar and then wham, they just take off. You know, they've been this really well-trained event, right? And all of a sudden, you have given them the authority to be themselves. And the ecstasy that they experience is phenomenal. So, take yourself to an off-leash park. <laughs> to the off-leash park called Planet Earth. And release yourself into the wilderness of your imagination. And see what you come up with. And allow yourself to begin to experience the true reality of the cosmos, which is it is here to serve your life. And if you stop avoiding its service, it will accommodate your desires. To be desireless is a common phrase in spirituality. And it doesn't say be without desire. It says be desireless. It means that you simply express your desire, anticipate it being fulfilled, so you don't walk around with it. You just know it, you express it into the cosmos, and then you anticipate it, and it's just now coming. Hmm? It will meet you. And the amount of time that it takes to meet you will be equal to the amount of time that you avoid the meeting. And that is the only thing that measures the passage of time. Because when you are in that state of grace, of being served by the infinite cosmos, which is capable of anything and everything. And you extend your desire into that incredible abundance. And then just sit in the innocence of a child, the grace and respect of a child, the child that is in awe of the whole thing. It serves you. How many of you have <clears throat> ever been handed a piece of paper that has been folded and maybe you want to scan it or take a photo of it and so you try to bend out the folds in the paper? Yeah. And then how many of you have ever uh, been in a situation where you needed to steam some cloth? Hmm? Right. So, 
what you're dealing with is you're dealing with a pattern that has been established. It's a wrinkle in the cloth or a fold in a paper. And that's a pattern that has been, has been established. And so it has a historical mark of that pattern that has been established. And what you're doing in trying to eliminate that historical mark so that it can be just in a neutral way, that it can be either photographed or hang, draperies or whatever it is, or your clothes, is that you're trying to eliminate its historical influence. And that's what we do in Kundalini Yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan because our bodies have wrinkles, have folds, have historical habits that they are constantly assuming. If you have a particular attitude, there is a way, psycho-emotional attitude, there will be a way in which your body expresses this. If you feel very uh, intimidated on a constant basis, you will not walk around like this. You will walk around more like this. You will be more shielding yourself than expressing yourself because you feel intimidated by your surroundings. And that's just one example of a particular fold that your body takes on. And what Kundalini Yoga, as taught by Yogi Bhajan, does is that it gets inside your body. The word ortho means structure and pedic means original or that which, like child. Pedic, like a pediatrician, right? Such is a doctor of children. And orthopedic means to return your structure to its original condition. So if you think about, you, in Kundalini Yoga, you step fully into your body glove. Now, your body glove's pattern, your body glove's fold, is that you're not fully engaged in it. Because over the years and then decades, you've been withdrawing from some of your body. That's just the way the body is. The body, you're not like a child. You don't lay on your back like this for, for hours every day, like a baby. But what that baby is doing, that was fun. <laughs> Hope nobody snapped. Guru Singh teaching. Because what that child is doing is that child is stretching into the full expression of its body glove. And that is part of that which enables the child to have that innocence. Because it's fully engaged in its body glove. It doesn't have those false impressions that are creating opinions about body awareness. And that's why a mantra like, I am who I am, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all of the aspects of me, exactly who I am. And that is that. Now, 
until I take on who I am now, I can't change the now into what I want it to be. And so in Kundalini Yoga, as taught by Yogi Bhajan, what you do is you engage all of the folds, <clears throat> all of the wrinkles. You engage all of the historical patterns. <clears throat> and then you engage them in a way that the steamer does or the refolding does in the other portions of life. And in these asanas, in these postures, in this breathing pattern, in all of these things, you start to unwrinkle, you start to steam out, you start to bring back to that original position. Sometimes the breathing <clears throat> is working mentally. So you're taking wrinkles out of the, the brain-mind process. Sometimes the breathing and even the physical positioning is working emotionally. And in the process of the emotional work, sometimes the emotion will come out. I've had people over the decades and decades that I've been teaching come up to me, and that's why we have tissue boxes around the room. Well, there's just one up here. It's like I cry a lot or something. <laughs> but people come up, am I supposed to be crying all class, you know, or am I supposed to be crying in class? And I go, there's really no supposed to be, but if you do, enjoy it. Because what's happening is that you're steaming out, using a metaphor, steaming out or folding out an emotional pattern, a historic emotional pattern that you want to stop its concentration allow it to blend in your total emotional being so that it doesn't just focus into, oh, I feel whatever I feel. And the same thing happens physically. You can start to shift all of the ways in which your body, your emotions, your mental processes are working with the what is that you experience around you by altering their state. And that's what we're doing here. Because your moments are not, let's use another metaphor, your moments are not set in stone. Your moments are up to you. How many have ever experienced rain? Raise your hand. How many have ever experienced rain when you had left something at home in a way that rain wouldn't be super friendly to? Raise your hand. How many have experienced rain when you've just been wanting and wanting and wanting rain for a very long time, like right now in L.A.? Completely different experience, same exact event, a completely different experience. You experience the experience based on how you are going to interpret the experience. The experience, the event that you are going to experience isn't good or bad. 
it is an event, you're going to experience that event based on expectations, anticipation, history, all of the components of time. What if, for the most part in your life, in which you weren't driving a car or doing something that was really technical, flying an airplane, Not that all of you fly an airplane, but one of you does. There's a commercial pilot in the room, so I'm just saying. So the idea that in those times of your life when you can just be interfacing with humans, that you can think about studying or working with the materials to enable your growth, conscious growth, working in the garden, working with children, working with the elderly, working with animals, working with close friends, working at work. What if you had the ability to turn on your innocence at will? Wouldn't that be helpful? My wife and I have learned over the amount of time that we've spent together in 43 years, and as you notice, I mean, our dates are at Home Depot, Office Depot, you know. <laughs> I mean, we'll come up to each other and say, you want to go on a date to Office Depot? We love it, you know. It's like we walk down the aisles holding hands, you know. It's like, who needs to go to a fancy restaurant you can buy an eraser at Office Depot? <laughs> We spend a lot of time together and what we have noticed over the years is that when she's wrong and I'm right or when I'm wrong and she's right, that those aren't actually facts. Those are angles at which we are viewing a moment. And so what we have learned over these times is that if we fixate on our position, we will be in opposition. But if we fixate on the relation, the opposition will have a message. It's a bit like the three blind people on an elephant, right? One has the tail, says it's a rope. One has the leg, says it's a tree. One has the ear, tell, says it's a banana leaf. They're all correct, but they're all claiming something different. And most often, when you are engaged in a disagreement, you are focused on the difference rather than the larger picture. What innocence allows you to do, what that childlike nature allows you to do, is absorb the big picture, and that's why it's so embedded in children. Because children are in a time of their life when they are absorbing information to learn how to do things. And so their natural state is to be innocent and open so that they can absorb as much of the information that is surrounding them so that they can learn how to do what they are involved with.
That's just the nature. And that nature actually starts to shut down when the brain stops growing at the age of 22. From the time the brain starts to be, uh, starts to be built in the womb until the age of 22, it's growing at a rate of about 13,000 neurological pathways per beat of the heart. And every one of those neurological pathways holds the capacity to have information. And if you use several neurological pathways out of the 13,000 that are being created per beat of the heart and knit them together, you have an idea or a concept or a motivation or an intention. That's how these things are formed. But if you're shutting down and fixating and serious and mature, then that process isn't available. And therefore, differences are going to be catastrophic. And those fixations on differences are what we are experiencing on the world stage right now. We're experiencing it on the political stage. We're experiencing it on the religious stage. We're experiencing it on the economic stage. We're experiencing it on the social stage. <clears throat> and every single stage in the world is dominated by the observation of differences. And all, as we have noted in this past five minutes, all the observation of differences, like the three blind people on the elephant, are just fixating on a particular aspect. And that particular aspect is minute in comparison to what is real. Let's take racism, for example, just as a as a working example. Now, first of all, there's no such thing as race. There's the human race, and that's it. Other than that, there's called paint job. And that paint is made up of skin pigmentation. People in this lifetime who have a darker skin pigmentation are simply occupying a physical body of those persons who didn't come out of Africa and get so far north that the pigmentation was eliminated because the sun was so low in the sky. The lighter the skin, the further the north. The lighter the hair, the further the north. The lighter the eyes, the further the north. And so all this is, is just a sign of genetic migration, period. However, the very, very diminished pigmentation in skin, hair, and eyes has limits that the darker pigmentation doesn't. And so those with the lighter pigmentation have what is called biological jealousy. 
a jealousy that is not intellectual. It's not, it's not a mental jealousy. It's not even an emotional jealousy. It's a biological jealousy. The biology of a pale skin is jealous of the stronger capacity to be at any point on earth with darker skin, darker hair, darker eyes because they are less vulnerable to the sun's rays. And the sun's rays are more intense now than they have been for centuries just because of how we've demolished the atmosphere. And so something needs to overpower that biological jealousy. And the thing that overpowers that biological jealousy is consciousness. Awareness. Awareness that even though your skin is a different tone than mine, we are the same being. But if there is a group of people on the planet that don't have that awareness because they haven't been through enough lifetimes to collect that amount of awareness, they are the evolutionary children on the planet. And so their attitude towards skin tone can be very severe, but it isn't intentional. It isn't even for them optional because they don't have the awareness to override what their biology is signaling to them. You take that capacity of knowledge into a setting and you can be a mediator by gently moving those who have less awareness into an awareness, finding something that they can see in common. And by taking those who have been attacked and reducing the pain in the history of that attack so that they can feel a little more compassionate. And you find that the commonality and the compassion slowly will build into a Tolerance. I was searching for that word. They will tolerate each other. That's a big step. Now this is not a plan to establish by January. This is a plan to establish by January of 2015. 50, with a little progress every year over the next 31 years. I've written that down as a goal. I have 31-year plans. I have 65-year plans. I've got 120-year plans. I'm enthusiastic. I don't plan on leaving before my plans are done. It's a plan inside of a plan. And so what you must recognize is that there is a meaning 
in every dilemma. There is a way of sitting innocently, childlike, within a dilemma and being able to absorb the information that's not being focused on so that the dilemma no longer becomes the most important event. What becomes the most important event is all of the information around it that creates the solution. Because fast solutions will have many side effects, unintentional consequences. It's just like pharmacology. The pharmaceutical industry is not made up of evil people. The pharmaceutical industry is in many ways, I mean, I have worked with the executives of Monsanto. And I will say to you that when I have worked deep down into their being, they actually believe that they are doing good for the world and those that are criticizing them don't understand. This is what they do believe. They do not have the awareness, they do not have the awareness that gives them the capacity to understand a lot of information. You put a small baby on a Persian carpet and it will squiggle its way to those delicious fringes on the edge. And all the Persian carpet with all of its grandeur means nothing to that baby. But that little white fringe on the edge is in that baby's mouth and that baby is sucking on that fringe as hard as it can because that's the good part of the Persian carpet according to the six-month-old. And that's exactly what we have going on here in this world. We've got and I'm not saying this in a, in a derogatory way. We have six months old evolutionary children in full-size adult bodies being very serious and mature. But they do not have the awareness of lifetimes after lifetimes of overcoming differences. They are focused on the differences because to them those differences are dangerous. And one of those differences is the difference that is obvious to the eyes at first glance, skin tone. Mm -hmm. And they make up stories about what skin tone means. Because those stories are being made up from the jealousy in their biology. The I don't like you because of the color of your skin is the same thing that I didn't want to come to your birthday party, even if you had invited me. <laughs> that same jealousy being expressed in that same fashion in a much more dangerous way. We are the adults in the room that must be childlike to be able to absorb and innocent enough to absorb all of the information so that we can mediate not take sides. Because the solutions are in the big picture. So today we're going to be doing those exercises well, which will give us the ability to accelerate this micro-orbit of the Kundalini rising, the light force rising through all of the various gut brain, heart brain, head brain, 
descending through the vagus nerve, that micro orbit that when it's working gives you the awareness. It gives you such an incredible awareness that you sit in the same place that ignorance sits and you see vast possibilities. I went to the dentist the other day. And by the way, we have the best dentist in the world. You know? She comes to class often. LA Holistic Dentistry. That was a plug. <laughs> but I went to the dentist because I had a toothache. And the only information that I was registering was pain, pain, pain. I was not registering solution. And she and her assistant, she, they get into the chair, and they open up my mouth, and they look inside. They go, oh, that's simple, I think. No, it's not. It's hurting. <laughs> and they went about their business. It was, a, it was a, a molar that had a crack in it. Not a, not a big deal, just a crack. She said, do you eat almonds? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she said, soak them. She said, almonds crack more teeth than anything else, right? So I learned something new. Pain, almonds. So now I had two pieces of information. <laughs> But the, the crack had gone down to the, to the bulb that holds the nerve, right? Or the nerves. Uh. And so I had drank tea. That had gone down, the hot tea. That had gone down the crack. And that set the world on fire. And so she, with all of her awareness, knew exactly what to do. And it wasn't just a one-step process. It was a few things. She put ozone down there to kill all the bacteria. Then she put a thin uh, sealant down there that actually sealed the tooth and eliminate the, in, the entire crack. And then she did some work on the surface in the time the end. And then she said, now, your, your tooth is bruised. I'd never thought of a tooth being bruised before. She speaks in the way of a tooth being very, very, very real. And your tooth is upset, she said. Your tooth is bruised and upset. And so please just chew on the other side of your mouth for one week. And you'll give your tooth the time to forgive you. These are her words. I'm thinking. I'm to be forgiven by my tooth? Seriously. One day after the other day, after the other day, after the other day, I felt this movement. I started to become aware of this healing. It wasn't just that the pain was gone, that there was this progressive healing taking place. This is the awareness of innocence. Become childlike so everything in your life can communicate with you. And then 
begin to learn how you can differentiate between content and container. Because usually the container are the harsh lessons, like the pain in my mouth. That was container. The content was all of the wisdom and knowledge that I gained once I had removed the container. And so oftentimes people come into your life as containers and they're very irritable, irritating to you and what have you. Allow them to be able to deliver the content and then you will appreciate even those that are most disruptive to you. And when you begin to appreciate them, their disruption is removed. Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more. All the classes can be found now on gurusing.teachable.com. There's going to be long-form classes available there, 30-minute long yoga classes with Kriya. There's also what is called a Kundalini Recharge. It's a brief lecture about something like depression or gratitude or achievement or partnering or success. And it'll be a lecture with a pranayama, a breathing exercise, and a single asana that you can just jump into during the day. And then it'll round out with an affirmation or meditation. And these will be like 11 minutes. And then there are also going to be audio files, which are guided 11-minute meditations, which you can listen to. And that's all within gurusing.com. Satnam.